Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. But this year, I'm starting my 11th year as a senior pastor. Can you believe that? And before that, yeah, yeah. Before that, I did seven years of youth ministry. So really, I started ministry when I was like five years old, basically, right? <laughs> one of the teenagers thought this, we had a lot of teenagers helping with VBS this week, and, uh, and he thought that I was only 25 years old. Bless his heart. So good. Anyway, uh, I, remember, I remember the day when I was called to ask, or when I was asked to go and serve St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Idaho Falls as a lead pastor. I was serving at Boise First United Methodist as the youth minister there. I was working, uh, my, my pastor and my boss at the time was a pastor named Dwayne Anders, but we had only been working together for about uh, six months. And before that, I was working for Steve Tolfson, um, uh, Dwayne's predecessor. And I really liked working with Steve. Um, <laughs> and when the district superintendent called me and asked, hey, Rick, would you be interested in working as the pastor at St. Paul's United Methodist Church? Um, I was really interested in it. But there was a couple of problems. Uh, the big one is that we just had our daughter born two or three months before they just asked me. And our, my wife's mom and sisters and all the cousins lived in Boise. And so if I took this job as a lead pastor down the road four hours away, I would be moving our new daughter away from so many family. And so that was, that was the thing that was holding us in Boise. But to be honest, I was kind of done doing youth ministry, and I was wondering if there was anything else for me to do at Boise First. Boise First is the largest United Methodist Church in the Western jurisdiction, about 1,400 people on a Sunday morning. And so I called Dwayne, my new pastor and boss, and I said, hey, I've been asked to consider being a pastor over across the way on the other side of the state. I don't know if I wanna go. Is there a job for, for me here at, at Boise First? And Dwayne and I fought back and forth a bunch and Dwayne, I really like him, but uh, you know, he came into that church and he decided that this church, Boise First, should be a leader of leaders. And everybody on staff should be mentors of other people in other churches. He believed that when one church rises, it should lift up all other churches. And so I was asking Dwayne, is there a job for me here at Boise First? I don't think I wanna do youth ministry anymore. I wanna preach more, I wanna run more programs. What can I do here? At Boise first and we fought back and forth and I think that you know I had some advantages because he was really sick and he was tired of fighting with me and finally one day finally he said Rick name your job you name it create your job we'll pay you whatever you want I want you to stay yeah and then I was like I think I'm gonna go um it was almost like I needed him to say you could have what you want here for me to realize ah oh, we were really called to go. And so I said, Dwayne, thank you. I don't think there's anything you could offer that would make me stay. I think I'm called to go. And he was a little upset. And then I said, and Dwayne, um, you said that you want to be a mentor of other pastors. And I'm only 28 years old, and I don't know what I'm doing. 
so will you coach me and mentor me and lead me through this process? So right after I won this fight with him, I needed his help. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. And to his credit, 11 years later, I still don't know what his answering machine sounds like because anytime I call him, he picks up. And I still talk to him on a weekly basis. When we went over to St. Paul's in Idaho Falls, we had some really tremendous success. We grew the church by 50% in 18 months. Um, there, there was standing room only in the sanctuary. We had to start a third service at a different location. A lot of really incredible things happened at that church, and I never did anything without calling Dwayne first and my district superintendent, Kim, who, who placed me there. We had a lot of really good times there. It was during that time that um, people started calling me DJ Del Rosario of the South. DJ used to be the youth work, he used to be the youth pastor here, and he was a fantastic uh, pastor. He is a pa fantastic pastor, and uh, I guess we kind of look alike a little bit too, and so people were making that connection. Uh, as you can imagine, being a 28-year-old pastor in a church, people said some things about me, right? The, the term young tyrant went around a little bit while I was there, and as I, and I was a as we're in the book of 2 Corinthians and we're dealing with all these um, attacks and criticisms that St. Paul is going through, I can kind of identify with some of those attacks, not knowing what you're doing, uh, being attacked for your appearance and what you look like, being attacked for saying one thing and doing another thing, being attacked for not being effective. I kind of get where Paul is coming from in a lot of this letter. Over the last... Um, month or so, we've been in the book of 2 Corinthians, which I've been calling the second best Corinthians, because it's not, not my favorite book of the Bible, but what it is, is this back and forth dialogue between Paul and the church in Corinth, where he is handling and fielding all these criticisms. So they've attacked him for his appearance, his effectiveness, all these different things. And then in the middle of him defending himself to this community, we have chapters 8 and 9, where he then has the audacity to ask for a collection. Can you believe it? This guy must be a Methodist, if you ask me. And so, I, I, can you believe he would ask for a collection? And uh, this morning, on this Sunday where we're celebrating VBS, we're going to talk about giving this morning. We're going to talk about what Paul says about giving and how it affects our life as givers as well. In chapters 8 and 9, Paul lists out a few different arguments for giving. And I think we can formulate some rules for giving out of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The first rule for Paul is um, know your mission. Know the mission that you're giving to. When we're talking about how we should give, how we should be generous, the first thing we do, need to do is know what the mission is. For Paul and the church in Corinth, it's the poor saints and the poor church in Jerusalem. The church started in Jerusalem with first century Palestinian Jews. They were in, and the Jews in Jerusalem were the most oppressed by the Roman Empire. It was difficult to work. It was difficult to buy and sell. They were way overtaxed. And so the church where things got started in Jerusalem was poor. As the church exploded and grew in other parts of the world, in Asia Minor, which we call Turkey now, in Greece, in Rome, more affluent communities of Christians started to emerge. 
And we get this incredible look at the early church that they decided no community is on their own, but we all partner together and we can do more together. And so Paul, who was a pastor who started a church and then moved and started another church and continued a letter writing ministry, said we need to link together. We need to care for one another. So he was taking collections from Corinth and from Macedonia to care for the church in Jerusalem. First, know the mission. That was the mission in the Bible. I, I think it's important as you guys give to this church that you know the mission of the United Methodist Church, that you know what you are giving to. We belong to one of the largest denominations in the world. We are the second largest Protestant denomination in the world, second only to the Southern Baptists, but we are the largest Methodist denomination. We're about 12 million strong around the world. Um, there's about 80 million Christians that point to the Methodist movement as their, as their uh, source in history. We are the largest Methodist denomination. We're not the only one, but we're the largest one. 12 million strong around the world, and we really believe that we can do more together. So take a look at our budget. The budget here at Faith United Methodist Church for this coming year is $641,000. We run a fiscal year calendar from July to June, and this year's budget is $641,000. Uh, last year, it was $737, and you're like, whoa, that's a huge cut. Well, the biggest part of that cut comes from us paying off our mortgage last year. So way to go, church, right? Huge, amazing, amazing job. When you give to this church, this is where your money goes to. 3% goes to the Global Connection, the United Methodist Church. That money funds the World Service Fund, that funds ministries and life-saving missions all around the world. You may have seen and, and seen the pictures of uh, Lahaina United Methodist Church in Hawaii, in Maui, and the devastation that happens around there. Because we are a global denomination, we will be there to help recover and rebuild. Part of what you give goes to Lahaina United Methodist Church in Maui and churches all around the world. Global education funds as well, and as well as our Episcopal leadership fund. So all of our bishops are paid out of the same global fund together so that some areas of the world who are wealthier than other areas of the world share in the ministry to all the world. 3% of what you give goes to the greater denomination. About 10% of what you give stays in our local connection, the Pacific Northwest United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church is uh, modeled after the United States government for good and for ill. <laughs> but we have kind of a, a federal you know, connection, the United Methodist Church. And then we have these different regions that we call annual conferences. We belong to the Pacific Northwest Annual Conference. Annual conferences are kind of like states. They uh, have rights, they make rules for the churches in their areas. And so we belong to the Pacific Northwest Annual Conference. 10% of what you give goes to the conference that funds ministries like camp and retreat ministries. It funds training um, and like sexual ethics training and anti-racist training. It goes to support churches that are in need um, and support other clergy. Also, there's some administration and leadership as well. 
uh, we pay into the connection, the annual conference, and we benefit from it as well. One of the biggest ways that we benefit is the connection between pastors. A lot of other denominations, if you didn't know, when a pastor leaves, they have to, the local church, they gotta go find their own pastor. They set up a search committee, could take a year, could take 18 months. And I've seen how difficult that is in some churches. I'm not saying that we're better than other churches, but we're just different. In the United Methodist Church, because of our connection, uh, we are appointed pastors. And so when one pastor steps out, another pastor steps in. So when Pastor Elizabeth says, hey, I need, I need to take go on a leave, she can talk to the annual conference and the annual conference says, don't worry, pastor, we've got you covered and they'll send you guys somebody like me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think it's going well. I've been here for a year. It's going okay, right? We're doing good? Okay, thank you, yeah. So we, we pay into this connection because we believe that we can do more together. It's through this connection that I know Pastor Dwayne. It's through this connection that I know Pastor DJ. It's through this connection that I know Pastor Elizabeth, and we work together for the benefit of all the churches. Now, the lion's share of what you give to the church obviously stays here at Faith Church. 87% of it stays here, and it funds these three things in this order. It funds staff, building, and ministries. And it's up to us as the church leadership, church council, and the finance team to use the gifts that you give to this church in the most responsible way, to not waste anything, to make sure that it goes to fund ministries. That's what we've done our best here to do, and we've created this $641,000 budget. So the first rule is to know the mission, know what you are giving to. The second rule is to learn giving from others. Paul mentions the Macedonians, which almost feels like a shameful move, like, hey, hey, Corinthians, the Macedonians, they're, they're making good on their word. I'm sure you're going to make good on your word, right? I don't think that Paul is necessarily trying to shame the Corinthians, but the reality is if you don't know how to give, if you don't know how much to give, it's good to get a little bit of information on what others are giving. It's not a comparison, it's not a shame thing, but it's a way to recognize, all right, what are people giving? What's a reasonable gift? If you have no place, if you've never given to a church before, you have no idea how much or what people do give. And so we should learn from others. I learned to give from my parents. I'm teaching my kids to learn to give as well when they, get an allowance, they have three jars actually. They have, well, they have two jars and an envelope. They have their, their money, they have their savings jar, and then they have their giving envelope. So we have to learn how to give from others. So this is how people give to Faith Church. Um, we, uh, we ask people to pledge, which is to make a promise on how much they're gonna give in this next year. This year, uh, we've had 64 pledges come in for about uh, $398,000. Um, last year, we had 67 pledges for about the same amount, about almost $400,000. So roughly the same thing. By the way, if you haven't pledged yet, 
we're still accepting pledges. There's pledge cards in the lobby. You can also pledge online. And you can see that those numbers are about the same as last year. If you wanna do some quick math, it's about 6,000 a year per pledge. So that's where people are giving. We ex now, not everybody pledges, obviously. There are a lot of people who give to this church who don't give a pledge card, don't turn in a pledge card uh, for personal reasons or because you know maybe, maybe they just wanna give spontaneously. We know that money will be coming in that way. And so we're estimating uh, that our non-pledge giving will be around 144,000. That's what it was last year. That's why we estimated that. And then we have some other revenues, rentals and things like that, uh, estimated around 27,000. And then you'll see, uh, and all this is in your notes as well, you'll see that there is uh, a, a deficit. We're budgeting a deficit of about $83,000 this year. Now, we're still, we're still coming out of pandemic, where if, you're, if you know Faith Church, you know that we lost many families who, when either they lost their job or they went remote, uh, they moved away, right? And that makes sense. So no harm there, but it has changed our reality here at a church. And so we're working through some of those changes that have come out of the pandemic. So this year we're planning another deficit uh, year. Uh, we do have some money in reserves. We just moved some money uh, around so that we have about 60,000 in our operating reserve and about 75,000 in our emergency fund. So we're okay, kind of. We have this year to figure it out, right? I share this with you because we are a family. And those of you that are new to the church, Take a peek in because we are a family. We are transparent about our budgets. We're transparent about uh, what people give and where we spend it. So this is our reality. As we think about how to give, we need all this information. All right. So two rule, first two rules are to um, know the mission, learn giving from others. The third rule is to give in proportion to what you've received, right? God provides every grace. As Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and the Macedonians, he's not trying to shame anyone, but he is saying to them, look, not because the way this world has shaken out, some have more than others. And this is an injustice. And so we ask those who have more to give more. Why? He quotes from Exodus, so that those who have more don't have too much, and those who have little don't have too little. The story there is from Moses and the Israelites moving out of Egypt through the desert to the promised land. When they're in the desert, the people cry out, God, you lead us out here to die? We've got nothing to eat. Moses cries out to God, God, give them something to eat. And so God says, I'll provide the food. And he gives them manna. He gives them this kind of wheat type substance that appears on the ground every morning that they can bake bread into. But he says to them, this is daily bread. It's only good for one day. And so if you are really good and industrious and maybe you, you built a machine and you can collect a ton of manna for yourself, well, it's only good for one day. If you try to store it in your house, it's going to spoil. So if you are able to gather more, then you need to give it to those who are not as able as you so that those who have much won't have too much and those who have little won't have too little. This is the way our denomination is set up, right? 
there are parts of the world where the United Methodist Church, where we are more affluent than other parts of the world. And so we give to support one another. As you personally think about your giving to the church, think about what God has blessed you with. For me, I try to change my mind about what I have. I try to think that earnings are not my earnings, but earnings are gifts. I can think that, yes, I, of course I work hard for my paycheck, but my paycheck is also a gift from God. I think to myself, well, this is easy for me to think about because my, my paycheck is quite literally your gifts, right? So every time I get paid, I understand that these are sacrifices and that these are gifts from you and from God. And when I think about everything I have as a gift, it changes the way that I receive it. I'm more thankful. It changes the way that I spend it. I try to be more careful. And it changes the way that I give because I understand that it's a gift to me. And so let it flow out from me as a gift to others. I think that if you start to think about your earnings and your income and what you have as a gift, I think that you'll be more thankful. I think that you'll be wiser in how you spend it. And I think you'll be more free to give it away, trusting in God. So rules, uh, know the mission, learn giving from others, uh, give in proportion to what you have. And then the fourth one, break the rules for love, right? Paul doesn't like rules, neither do I. So what are we doing with all these rules? Paul says, here's some guidelines to understand how you can be generous in the world, but then go above and beyond. If you're asking, okay, what are the rules? What do I have to do? Paul's going to say, well, I don't know. Jesus gave everything, so maybe start there, right? For Paul, it's not about following the rules. It's about letting love be your guiding principle. It's the same way as what we talked about last week when it came to dating and marriages and divorce. God says, use your heart, use your brain, but let love guide you. It's the same thing with giving and generosity. Yeah, there, there are guidelines, right? Learn what the mission is. There is information. Learn what other people are giving. Understand your own situation, what God has given you, and then use your brain and use your heart and let love guide you. Go above and beyond. When I was a kid, I, I did understand that there was a rule for giving. It was 10%, right? Give 10%. In fact, we're teaching our kids to give 10% of their allowance even now. 10% seems pretty easy when you're making 20 bucks a month, but when you're going a little bit bigger, 10% feels maybe a little bit stranger, right? 10% I think can be a good guide and a good rule, but notice that Paul never says, okay, everybody, Turn in your W-2s, and we're going to take out 10% for you, right? He doesn't say that. Because giving that changes our lives, giving that changes the world, is giving that comes from the heart. So Paul doesn't want you to follow a rule, neither do I. Paul wants you to have all the information necessary so that you can be the best giver that you can be. Paul says... This comes out of joy, right? Nobody is obligated to give, but give out of appreciation and gratitude. This is the kind of giving that blesses both the giver and the receiver. 
And Paul does say, God will continue to bless you so that you can continue to bless others. Now, some pastors out there, some pastors out there, you've probably heard, have made silly promises. Like, whatever you give to the church, you wait and see. You're going to get 10 times this next year, and you're going to be blessed overflowing, right? I don't really believe that that's always the case. So I'm not going to make that promise, but I will testify. I will testify that in every church that I've been a part of, um, we've always been some of the top givers in a church, even though we aren't always the top uh, earners in a church. And when there's been tough times in our families, when, um, when hospital bills mounted up or when jobs change and things like that, I'm the one that runs the budgets and I kind of panic a little bit and I look at that giving amount and I go, oh boy, we are uh, we're giving a lot. Maybe we should cut back there. It's always Joanna that goes, aren't you a Christian? What are you talking about, right? <laughs> Joanna pulls me back and says, we've always been cared for. We've always been uh, provided for. Our kids have never missed a meal. Why would we stop giving? God's always blessed me. He's never put me in a position where we can't give to the church. And, and I can't promise you that you're going to prosper when you give, but I can testify that God has never let us down and God has always cared for us even through our giving. But this is one thing I will promise. I will promise as the pastor of this church, one who sits on the committees that oversees all of your gifts, I will promise that we won't waste a single dollar that you give. That whatever you give, we will honor it. We will create ministries that change lives and bless the world. And so, consider your giving to the church. Consider your generosity in this world. Know your mission. Learn from others. Um, give appropriately. Uh, give in proportion to what you have. And then, break the rules for love. Go above and beyond. I got a couple of action steps for us at the end of this sermon. Uh, these aren't uh, continue the discussion questions. These are time to take some action here with the information that we have. Uh, the first one is I'm asking you to increase your giving and your pledge. If you haven't pledged, there's a QR code on the back of the bulletin where you can pledge online and you can also make contributions to the church as well. Consider your giving. All right? I'm not going to lay out any rules, but I will tell you that if all the giving households in our church gave about $50 more a month, that would be a balanced budget. That would be a balanced budget. Right. So think about your giving, consider increasing and or making a pledge. And second one, you might be thinking to yourself, ah, pastor, I hate hearing these sermons because I actually am strapped. There's not much more that I can do and I feel terrible about it. That's the last thing I want from any of you. I don't want anyone to feel terrible. I want people to feel good about their giving. And I understand that there are times when you cannot give. So here's what you can do, right? You can be here. Your presence matters and makes a difference in the life of this church. I'm, I'm, let me share with you a secret on how to raise giving in the church. There's only two ways to do it, right? The first one is to have those who give, give a little bit more. And the second one is to invite new people and grow by having new givers. That's it. This church is growing, right? Um, in July, we grew by 
this last year. This, this year's July's attendance was 78% higher than last year's July. Now we're still, now we're still coming, yeah, I think that's pretty good. Now we're still coming out of pandemic, so I don't know, but August is already 48% higher than last year's August, right? So we are growing. This is an exciting place to be, and you being here makes it better. So if you're saying, Pastor, I can't, I can't give any more, I understand. Can you raise your commitment to be here? When you're in town, when you're healthy, be here because you make this place better. You make this place more attractive for other people, right? And the third thing is invite a friend to church, right? Invite a friend. Um, we're just talking to some other people in the church and we were talking about this church and how they were talking with other people and they said, finally, got around to the conversation and said, hey, why don't you uh, check out Faith Church? And their friend said, well, we would have loved to, but you've never invited us. We're like, oh, you want an inv invitation? Okay, yeah, like, didn't even think about doing that. I think sometimes we are, are careful because we don't want to jam our religion down anyone's throat, right? I don't want to do that at all. But sometimes we err too far on the side of caution where we don't even invite anybody who would be open and interested in a church, who need a community, who would be interested in youth group or coming to VBS or things like this. It's okay to invite. It's okay to let people know where you go to church. I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else here because I think what people find out that I'm a pastor, it's like one of the first things they find out about me and I'm still a little bit hesitant to invite them to church. Can you believe that? My goodness. Invite people to church. Now, I don't know if you've taken this as good news or bad news. It's just news. It's just transparency. I'm not worried. I know that God is doing amazing things through this church. We are reaching new people and growing in every area of our church. So I'm thrilled about what's happening. But I want you to have this information because we are a family, right? We know what's going on in our business. I want you to think about all these things. Learn, know the mission of the United Methodist Church. Learn from other people's giving. Give in proportion to what God has given you. And then go above and beyond for love's sake. My, uh, my mentor, Dwayne Anders, oh man, he's gone so far above and beyond what I asked him to do in giving me advice. He's full-on welcomed me into his family. We talk almost every other week or so, and he's the pastor of one of the largest churches around. He's baptized my daughter. He's cared for me, and without him and without this connection, I wouldn't be the pastor that I am. Without him going above and beyond what I asked, I wouldn't be where I'm at and who I am. God calls us to give of ourselves above and beyond what expectation is give with joy and see what God can do in changing the world. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.